Are you in a good mood today? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my ass is so sore from squatting today. Mm. And I went back to the gym for the second time because the first time I did not have a good enough workout. Yeah, you were kind of crabby after the first time. I just, I don't know. The gym is so important to me. Well, that's the story I tell myself anyways. It but I important. do feel, yeah, I do feel better whenever I get a good workout in. Yeah. I think that you have a lot of energy to release and it's done in working out. I know. I want to learn how to start integrating other practices into my life that help me intentionally and deliberately, 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 Del- <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, deliberately, deliberately uh-huh. move energy. Uh-huh. So whether Tai Chi, probably Tai Chi because yoga is not happening. <laughs> The first time you tried yoga with me, remember when you cried? Yeah, it was you, hard. Because you were trying to bend over and you couldn't. <laughs> it wasn't that. I could just feel like, I was like, oh my gosh. The, yeah. But I think that will help me manage sometimes the extremes that I fall into. Yeah. Whether I'm like either all in or I'm just like fighting off despair and it takes everything in me to even get out of bed yeah like learning how to move energy more intentionally i think is a big growth point for me i think so too and i think specifically in this time with so many transitions in our life there's probably just more to move yeah i think like there's just more stuff circulating in the atmosphere where i think it would make sense that we both need to move shift energy because working out it does that, mm. but I don't do that intentionally when I'm working out. I'm in, like, I disappear sometimes when I'm working out. Like, also working out is like a social thing for me too. Yeah. I meet people, I talk to people, so the gym is social, and so I'm not necessarily like trying to intentionally move, yeah, energy in a deliberate way. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's funny. I don't think like five years ago I ever thought about moving energy. Yeah, and now I think I'm like. Oh my gosh, I need to move my body. I need to move energy. Like I can I can feel when it's stuck or like when it's uh clogged, if you will. Or I just feel the angst, which usually like results in like me being like, I really want to drink right now. Yeah, or you want to eat like ten boxes of or candy. I wanna eat my feelings, or I just wanna like get lost in them and have them swallow me up and then just be full of despair. So there has to be like this more mm-hmm. middle ground where it's like, oh, I'm feeling this right now. Let me have like a Tai Chi practice. Let me go upstairs and breathe and do breath work. Let me have these other tools in my toolbox uh, that I, you know, can utilize whenever I'm feeling that way. Yeah. It's interesting that you even reference like eat your feelings because I think of like how we learn these coping mechanisms as humans to really deal with intense emotion and they're always some form of like escapism, right? Like Mm. binging is a form of of getting out of my feelings or just that that release that you're craving is like it's it's really normal but I think what you're referencing is like how do I find ways to do that that are actually beneficial to me and not escapist yeah not even been yeah 100% anyways what are we talking about today let's talk about money let's talk about money speaking of energy let's talk about (laughs) money isn't that the truth it is the truth. Listen, I like having these conversations with you. You do? Yeah. I Why? like talking you to you. sit close to me on the couch? I sit close to you on the couch. I also feel like you are somebody that I'm constantly learning from. I was on a podcast this morning with these adorable teenage girls. 
And they were asking about our love story. And I was like, I just, I, I picked the best human in the world. I really lucked I out. I picked you, honey. Oh, you picked the best <laughs> me. But I, you know, I had to wait a long time for you. And now you're here mm-hmm. in my reality. And I have a lot of gratitude for that. Yeah. I think what has done for me is falling in love with you and like meeting you and our whole experience. It truly is spiritual and it's magical and it's amazing. But what it's taught me is like, wait, this has been waiting for me this entire time. Like Mm. in the moments of like great despair and hopelessness and helplessness and feeling like all is lost. Like this was still waiting for me. Yeah. And it really like one helped me understand like a real true definition of grace Mm. where it's like oh like i can't outrun love Mm. because that's what grace is right i can't outrun love and now applying that to every area of my life especially financially like for so long i was like i made so many stupid financial decisions and the shame of those decisions that i made has kept me in this belief system like oh well no wonder I'm not making the amount of money that I want to make, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. of those decisions. But now it's like, I can't outrun love. Yeah. And if you were waiting for me this entire time, like what else is waiting for mm-hmm. me? I think that's such a, a beautiful way to phrase that. I was actually thinking about our friend May today mm-hmm. and how she started her new job. Go May, go May, go, go May. Go May. And it's her dream job. Yeah, it's like, pretty amazing. It's, I, I was like looking at the description. She sent me a photo today of like some of her employee handbook stuff. And I'm like, you, we couldn't even have made this up. We couldn't yeah. have made it up. And two months ago, one month ago, whenever she was here, we were sitting with her at dinner and just the despair and the angst around like, am I ever going to find what mm-hmm. I want? And I've been searching and I've been looking. And then this divine opportunity opens up after she's done all that wrestling, after she's done yeah. all this like work around surrendering what it looks like and letting go of the expectations. And then this beautiful opportunity that none of us could have even dreamt up for her came into the picture. And I think even that it's a smaller example, but I keep thinking about how we have so many attachments to the outcomes of our stories. And I think there's a bigger and a greater and a more beautiful uh, experience of of what we long for coming for us. Sometimes it's just really the letting go and the surrender and the, yeah. And that's why I think like celebrating your victories is so important. And Mm -hmm. it's not just like celebrating your victory, but like taking a moment to acknowledge like your journey to where you are now, especially if you just landed the job or you just got a raise or you just got this, this or this. Yeah. Like take a moment and be like, wow, there was a time I was feeling extremely hopeless. Mm -hmm. There's a time I was feeling extremely you know, full of despair and I was angry and I was resentful and my heart was shutting down like towards life and towards God and towards myself. Mm. But now I'm like, Oh, I'm living in the manifestation of the very thing that I've deeply hoped for. Mm -hmm. I need to realize that this is on the other side of the despair. This is what's on the other side of the frustration. Yeah. So the journey just becomes how do we navigate that in between space consciously? Yeah. That's pretty good. That is really good. I think it's a good segue into money too. Yeah. I think it's a really good segue into money. If there's one thing we've been frustrated (laughs) about. Yeah, you know, I think I think it's worth sharing a little bit of our story. So Caleb and I, in uh, March of 2020, when the world paused, mm-hmm. we both, uh, within 48 hours, lost all of our work. For you were in events. I was in outward-facing event-oriented work. And I was speaking full-time. Mm-hmm. I lost probably, I mean, 
45 gigs for the rest of the year 45 to 50 gigs yeah i think i lost 15 to 20 events that were that in, weird. in motion yeah and within 48 hours we watched all of this come through on email mm-hmm. cancellation and looked at the computer screen being like what is happening because we had we had a financial plan for the year remember how much hours yes. we spent over budgeting <laughs> over christmas that budget went straight to shit <laughs> real straight. fast we literally had mapped out our financial plans wow, for 2020 and then 2020 was like, well, actually, let's let's rethink this. And I think that in some ways, we've had to completely recalibrate on on how we think about money. Our relationship with money. Our relationship with money. And and I think that 2020 was a year of both of us looking at, at our relationship with money and saying, how do we relate? How do we view this? What are the stories we tell ourselves about money? What are the belief systems that we hold around money? Yeah. And, and I think... Yeah, I think it's been a major year of unpacking money. Yeah, it's a massive, especially the understanding around uh, like energy and money. Yeah. Like everything in life is energy. So money is just energy. And so energy can't flow through a a heart full of resistance. Mm. Energy can't flow through a heart that's shut down. Energy can't flow through things that are chaotic, Mm -hmm. right? And so when you see energy or money as energy, for me has been this whole thing of like, what's taking up my energy? Mm. What's taking up space? Because I want to invite more money into my life, Mm -hmm. right? And so now it's like, oh, I had to rework this relationship from like a meta approach Mm -hmm. in a way, um, and still keeping it tethered and practical as well. But I think the biggest thing for us is that the frustration has been we don't make the external number does not accurately reflect the internal wisdom or depth that, that we, we have feel, feel is possible for mm-hmm. us. And so there is that frustration that we feel and that we're intentionally leaning into. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's exciting because I feel like something's been activated. Otherwise, yeah. we wouldn't feel frustrated. Yeah. I want to go back really quickly. I want to keep going where you were going, but I want to go back to this idea of money as energy and as something that needs to flow. In the beginning of 2020, we sat down with our friend, Christine, who's yeah. incredibly wise around money. Yeah. She's very, I mean, she's wise in all areas of life, yeah. but she's she's someone who's taught me a lot about <laughs> I, I want to say money, but more wealth mentality, more abundance mindsets. And one thing she said um, in that conversation that really stuck, stood out to me was this idea that money is energy and it has to flow. So the moment we begin hoarding mm-hmm. or holding on to mm-hmm. or grasping, the moment we're uh, limiting the energy flow, right? So if we think of uh, money as this thing that has to flow, it needs to be spent. It needs to be um, used. It needs to almost circulate in the same way that we think about like healthy water. It has to circulate. If you just yeah. have a pond of water that's sitting there, it gets moldy and gross and dirty. Yeah. But if you have water that's flowing and, and recirculating, it stays clean and, and uh, there can be more of it. So I love, I love that reframing for me because I think I always grew up, you know, believing, and we'll get into this, but I grew up believing there's not enough money. And so, so money going out was terrifying. So money going away was scary. So the, the idea was hold on, hold on to the money that you have and, uh, yeah, grasp onto it. Yeah. And now if we think about it as something energetic, that very energy of grasping and holding on actually limits the amount yeah. that can come in. That's really good. Yeah. And just to like piggyback off of that this year, yeah, six months into 2021, yeah, 
we have spent more money on us. Uh-huh. We've invested more money on us with the intention of making more money. Yeah. So like it's it's just great to see it actually materialize and we're taking action and it's been inspiration. It's mm-hmm. not like a striving a to do or you know, making ourselves do it. It's like, it comes from inspiration. It comes from our heart, but like, yeah, mm-hmm. we want to make more money. Duh. We got to spend more money. We got to spend more money. Yeah. Let's go back to when we had yeah. that conversation with Christine and one of the practices that she had us do. And I think, Wait, can we actually, sorry to cut you off. Yeah. I want to get into practices, but can we like break this up into maybe the first part of this podcast? We talk more about the belief systems that we've had to work through around money mm-hmm. and then the practices that we begin to, um, to, to practice and implement to work a relationship around money. Absolutely. So uh, my point in sharing this story though oh, was sorry. about the belief systems, oh. um, but it is also a practice. So I think that's, I'm still learning. <laughs> no, I was just going to share that when we sat down with Christine and, and we, we actually did a podcast with her about this, but we, she had us write a letter to money. You remember that? Yes, she had us write a letter. And um, we can get into that as a practice, but it was very revealing of our belief systems, right? Because as you write a letter mm-hmm. to money, you realize you're in relationship with money. And all of us are. We're in some kind of relationship with money. And as you write the letter, you start to recognize, oh my gosh, I see you as controlling or limiting or abusive or terrifying. Yeah. or at- You were what- the reason for every fight my family ever really had. Mm-hmm. You were like the thing that always was the big elephant in the room yeah. and I hated you because of it. Yeah. Yeah. And we get into the belief system. So why don't, cause we both did the practice. Yeah. We both wrote the letter. Why don't we share like some of the belief, belief systems that came up for us yeah. around money? Money for me was always, it wasn't, there was the belief that money is hard to make. There was also the belief that there's a limited amount of money out there, right? The value of a dollar. We were all taught that for the most part in the value of a dollar, the value of anything is built on scarcity, mm. right? And so we were taught about the scarcity of, attached to money, mm-hmm. right? That we we'll, can never have enough. Um, I think there was a lot of emotional experiences around money. Like I can feel myself as a little kid sitting down at the table and my dad just getting laid off and just the the pain in the room, right? Yeah. And like money was to blame for our hardships. Money was to blame. So yeah. there was this very... Um, just a hard experience around money. But I think the biggest belief system that I had to work through that I didn't even know until I moved to Buffalo and started doing some work around money um, was money made me feel stupid. Mm. So here I am trying to make more money, but every time I have money, I feel stupid. Mm-hmm. And so my first inclination is to get rid of money as fast as I can because the more I hold on to it, the stupid, more stupid I feel. What about it made you feel stupid? Because I didn't know how to use money to make money. I didn't know how to handle money properly. Mm-hmm. Nobody taught me anything about like finances, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not anybody's fault. I have a computer and I could yeah, it's Google, not a blame. right? But I was always afraid of going there because Mm. of how it made me feel and so money made me feel stupid and then I'll talk to you a little bit more about that and give you an example but the other belief system was also when I just make more money I'll start to save okay yeah oh when I just make more money you know I remember moving to Los Angeles and that month was my like 
you know, I think my first month living in Los Angeles, I made a good chunk of change. I, I will even say it. Like, I think I made like 15 or $16,000 in a month. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was like, holy shit. Like, yes. Mm-hmm. I probably partied on 10,000 of that. <laughs> like, it's so right? funny, because but it's here's so the not deal. funny. Here's the deal. Holding on to it. Yeah. I didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. It made me feel stupid. Yeah. And also my thought was like, well, I reward myself for all my hard work. I'm not really 10,000, but like I'll, I'll reward all myself for my hard work here. And I'm just, you know, when I start, when I hit 20 K a month, then I'll start to put away and start to figure out how to save this mm-hmm. stuff because it's useless now. Mm. Like, so these were the thought processes that I would have. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that money makes me feel stupid is something that I still am working through, mm. but I'm doing it way more aware. Yeah way more aware and consciously I like I, I can feel it in my body of like oh I just got this money into my bank account or whatever like I feel a little haywire mm. and I sit with that now yeah like really leaning into actually where the fear is coming yeah from. just like what is that and just like and just working through it and like really uh regulating my central nervous system and teaching myself that I'm safe with this money. Like I can mm-hmm. steward money properly. I might not know how to steward it well, but I guarantee you I know somebody in my life that does. And all I have to do is have a conversation with them. Mm. So like going down that rabbit trail, like just calms me down. Yeah. You remember the story when I, and this is just like a perfect example. Yeah. Like when I first moved to Canada, I burned through my savings fast, right? Because I had no job for th- four years. Yeah. And I was working in Canada, so I was just burning through my savings, trying to just, like, heal and survive. And then I start doing a little bit of speaking at the church. And then a church in Texas invited me to come tell my story um, when I was back home at my dad's uh, local church. And I go, and I get a chance to speak. And at that time, you speak at churches. (laughs) I don't think a church would ever have me again, maybe. But (laughs) I speak at churches and, you know, they do like a love offering. Mm. Long story short, they do a love offering. So I'm not like asking for money. Mm -hmm. Like here's my speaking fee. Um, It was interesting because at this time I was like, what am I doing with my life? Mm. Like what direction am I going? And I was kind of like in this place of God just give me a sign. Mm. And I always have known that I wanted to share a part of my story. I wanted to share my journey with people. And this church invited me over to speak and I spoke. And I laid it out there for 45 minutes and I just was honest, I'm vulnerable. I was just like, yeah, I mean, that's how I approach it. Whether, you know, it was 3000 people in the crowd or 30, right? And this day there were 30 people there Mm. and I gave them everything I got. Like I honored what I felt was true and I leaned into it and I spoke from my heart and I remember they took up a love offering for me and it was like. $1,400. And I was like, wow, that's like the most money I had made since walking away from the NFL. Mm -hmm. For almost five years, that was the most money I had made. But then I was standing at the back of this church and saying goodbye to everybody. And one person after the next, after the next. And then this little old woman comes up to me and she like hands me something in my, my hand. And then she like hugs me and she said, son, like I've heard a lot of speakers come and go in my life. And she goes, if there's one thing I can tell, it's like you're anointed to speak. Mm. And I was like, wow, that really blesses me. Like, thank you so much. And I didn't think twice about what she put in my hand and I put it in my pocket and then I said goodbye. And then I went out to the car and I had that check from the church for like 1200 bucks. And then I reached into my pocket cause I was like, Oh yeah, what did she give me? And I was honestly thought it was a note. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And I unraveled this piece of paper and it was a check for $10,000. dollars mm. And on the memo, it said like anointed to speak. Mm. And so I was like, oh, like I felt like this deep clarity of like, this is the direction I'm taking my life. Like this feels right. It feels yeah. aligned. And then I also had a semi, like had a panic attack in there in that when I should have been like, oh my God, rejoicing. Like totally. I just spoke for 45 minutes and made 11,250 bucks. It was almost $12,000 if I can remember correctly. Yeah. And I was just like, holy hell, did that just happen? But here I am having a panic attack because all I could think about is the more this money makes me feel so stupid because I should know something better off to do with it than to than how I am going to handle it. Mm. And honestly, so sorry, last thing I'll say, you know what I did? That $10,000, I bought a new computer, which is great. And then I basically gave half of it, the rest of it to the church. Mm. Because I was just like, I feel I so stupid. I don't know what to do. Yeah. And looking back at that, it's like so silly in a way. And like there's a million and people probably listening. They're like, you're an idiot. <laughs> there's so many things you could have done. I get that. But I was so, so scared. And that was like trauma in my body mm-hmm. of like moments where I had to trace back being a little kid walking to the convenience store mm-hmm. and somewhere I heard keep the change. Mm. I heard keep the change. And I was able to, in therapy, go back to this moment of going to the convenience store, buying candy and telling the cash register, like the cashier, keep the change. Mm. And it was like 70 or 60 something cents. And my mom said, when I got home, where's the change? I was like, I told the cashier to keep the change. And we were not well off. And she flipped on me. She was so angry at me. And it was from that traumatic experience that I'm stupid with money mm. and my body remembered every bit of that. Yeah. There's a couple of things I want to pull out of that. One, I think it's so interesting how for all of us, every single one of us, there's childhood stories that yeah. shape the way we view money. And I think it is such a powerful thing to start to unpack those regardless of your relationship with money, whether you live in constant abundance or you live in scarcity, it is because of something, right? It's because of the way we've been trained to think about money um, another piece that's really stuck out to me, wow, well, stuck out to me, stood <laughs> out to me while you were talking was this idea of receiving and, and really being worthy of receiving. And I feel like that's a conversation that we've been having recently of if we, if we want more, we have to be able to receive more. We have to have space to hold more. And if we don't believe we're worthy of it, then how can God give us more? Yeah. How can, how can God actually give us more of anything if we if we don't believe we're worthy of holding it because we'll throw it every time we it's given to us, right? Like we'll actually throw it and uh, because we don't believe we have capacity to hold it. And so when people talk about manifestation and this idea of receiving, we have to be able to receive. I think it's actually so powerful to really unpack that because in order to receive something, we have to believe we're worthy of receiving it. And so then the work of, of making more money really isn't about how do I figure out how to go make more money? It's, it's really about how do I, uh, allow myself to believe I'm worthy of receiving more? How do I create more capacity in my life to Mm -hmm. hold more? How do I create the ability to hold more abundance? Because if I don't believe I'm worthy, I'm going to sabotage it every time. Totally. That's a massive shift. Mm -hmm. The last thing I will say, because on top of my belief systems is money has never been important to me. Mm. And that's something I still deal with. And we've had those conversations where like, 
I've never set out to make a lot of money. That's never been a desire of mine. Mm. My only desire since walking away from the league, right, has been I just need to heal. Mm-hmm. I will. I just need to heal. Yeah. I need to survive this and figure out what in the hell is going on with my life. Yeah. And so when all of my counterparts and my classmates and peers and whatnot are out there like with the intention to land a great job so they can make massive money, yeah. I'm like, fuck the money. I need to save my life. Yeah. Right. And so healing was the main priority. Mm. And I feel like I'm just now in yeah. the last year or like, oh, how do I integrate the two now? Like I do want to create more abundance in my life because I like nice things Mm -hmm. and I like the opportunities that money presents Mm -hmm. and gives me the, us the opportunities to do. So now it's like, how do we integrate like staying aligned to my purpose and also doing it in a way that calls in more uh, financial abundance? Yeah. It's interesting that you say that money hasn't been important to you. I think even that and hearing that, I'm like, I wonder if that is um, in some ways, this is too big of a statement, but a trauma response of some kind. Because if we think about your classmates, right? Like if we think about your classmates that were setting out to make money, part of that is because money probably made them feel safe because making more (laughs) money created safety for them. Making more money created security. For you, I think there was a different way of feeling safe and secure and that was through healing. healing. That was through... Yeah literally creating safety in your body and money didn't make you feel safe. Yeah. So I actually think that there might be some kind of tie of like the more that you allow money to create safety for you, mm-hmm. the more it will become important to you. Yeah. No, I get that. And I have had that thought of like, Oh, this is a trauma response. Um, to a degree, like, yeah, I would say yes to that. Yeah. It's what about you? To unpack. Um, I, feel like some of the stories that ran through my childhood narrative were that there's never enough Mm -hmm. right in the middle of five kids and so I I think back to like so many childhood memories of like going to the going to Kohl's and wanting to buy like a certain pair of jeans going to the buckle oh yeah and my mom being like we can't afford Doc Martens we can't afford buckle jeans and really that narrative of we can't afford was really really prevalent in my home and again, I don't, it's not a blame thing. I think it's more a, a conversation I really internalized. And I also, you know, growing up, I, I felt responsibility for my family's well-being. It's just middle child syndrome. I took on like the emotional responsibility of, of the family and my, and my mom. And so I think in, in years where finances were really hard for my family, my mom saw me as a confidant and kind mm. of disclosed all of that to my to me as a young so kid. So you carried a lot of burden. Yeah, I carried a lot of burden. And then I, the the narrative that formed from that was I don't want to be a burden. Yeah. And so to want money is to be a burden. And so I kind of think that in my adult life, I've I've taken in, or I've, I've walked myself into this narrative of like, I, I don't need money because then I'm a burden. Or like, I don't, I don't want my wants to be too big because then, then I'm a much. burden. Then I'm too much. That is like a core wounding of yours or like huge if even if I respond in a certain way to you and it's just like, honey, I need a little space right now. Yeah. Your first response is I'm too I'm much. I'm too much. Totally. Yeah. I internalize. It's about me. Right. Which I can recognize, but it's still it's again that body yeah. response. It's that instantaneous like like trauma response that it takes noticing to actually work through. Yeah. Um, but I have, yeah, I have like so many memories of <laughs> packing lunches and wanting, <laughs> wanting gushers, but then 
my, you know, the fruit, the fruit, the fruit by the foot were on sale. And so we had to have the fruit by the foot instead of the gushers, which are also delicious. So it's not a complaint <laughs> against them. But, but I think that the big narrative that developed for me was that I don't get what I want. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that one is, is a big one. It actually carries through pretty strongly in so many areas of life, but specifically with money, I think I've held on to this belief system that even if I want a lot of money, I probably won't get enough, mm. a lot of money because there's just not enough to go around. There's just not enough for everybody. Is it that or is it more, I just don't get what I want? I think it's both. I think it's really a, a combination. me sitting in front of you should illustrate that you get what you want and mm-hmm. even more. <laughs> I really do in, in different timing than I, than I generally want. But actually I think that even you referencing you, I think that's been a really healing part of my story that I'm, I'm starting to uh, sort through with finances is the reality that I get what I want and that it actually is just um, a timing, timing issue. Not issue, but timing. Yeah, yeah. Not issue. That's yeah. Just more of a matter of timing and how, you couldn't have come a moment earlier. And if you had, it would not have been the same experience. And so there were all those years of work and waiting and singleness and wrestling and angst and emotion that actually created the space for you to come into the picture um, that were so necessary. And so I even think with with money, I'm like, oh, that's what we've been doing. We've Mm. been doing this work to really understand the narratives, to carve out the space, to create the capacity, to change the narrative, to really believe differently about this. Um, so that when it comes, we actually have capacity to hold it. Yeah. I love that. I'm just sitting here thinking about, um, as you're saying this too, like something that's really shifted is like the need to make more money Mm. and shifting into like, I long or I desire to create more wealth for an intentional purpose. Yes. Like that's a massive shift, right? For so many years. And I think I can speak to your experience as well. Even before we knew each other, like there was sometimes a need, like I need to make more money and need Mm -hmm. is always, I feel like some sort of attachment to fear. Yeah. Right. Like I need, why do you need it? Cause I'm afraid of running out because this, because of this, because of this. Right. And so there's this unhealthy co like kind of attached, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Anxiously attached mm. to money. Yeah. Um, which just suffocates the energy, right? Yeah. It completely severs ties that from between you and the connection with money. First, now I feel like we, as we have learned how to honor, acknowledge and observe our belief systems around money to really learn how to handle money properly, to be with money. Are we, as our relationship with money has completely transformed there is a desire in me that's percolating up to create more wealth, not because I need it. Mm. If if nothing changed in our lives, mm. we can still have a good life, mm-hmm. right? We can still have a good life. But as we are becoming more aligned and living more aligned lives mm. emotionally, physically, and spiritually, yeah. there are in, there are desires and longings percolating up from the inside of us that's like, I want to build wealth to create safe spaces for other people mm-hmm. to have a transformative experience. Mm-hmm. I want to create wealth because I want to experience the world. Mm-hmm. I, I want to travel the world. I want to ex- create wealth. So there's all these things that are attached to our intention behind wealth. Yeah. So it's not a need that's anxious attached to money. It is a, I want to align. I'm, we're aligning properly so that we can create wealth, put it back into the world. Mm-hmm 
through the things that we long to do in our work. So mm-hmm. it's just it's just a complete it's a shift. shift. Yeah, which it's energetically a is a shift, yeah. right? One thing I'm thinking about, and I'm curious if you have this experience as we're talking, I'm thinking about how I think in my past there was a like a a martyrdom or like a spiritual uh, hierarchy to not having a lot. And well, I, I think it's seen as humility. Yeah, or like um, I'm I'm struggling with money, and and God is teaching me this thing through struggling with money, almost like suffocating pride. Yeah, like spiritualizing the the lack. And I think one of the things that I've really been working out in my own faith world is is this idea that God is overly abundant and that the universe is overly abundant and that God wants what we want more than we want it. And, and yet I think sometimes, especially in, uh, this is just what I grew up in, but evangelical Christianity, there's this weird martyrdom around, um, not having. And I think some of that is shifting, but I'm thinking about what I grew up in and and some of the language that was used and, and even going, (laughs) I went to Wheaton college and so many of my friends were uber wealthy, like uber, uber wealthy. And my parents couldn't help me with Wheaton. And so there were times where I would be pleading with God, like, Mm -hmm. please help me make this tuition. And then randomly a check for like, you know, the right amount would show up. And there was this, there was this very weird spiritual marriage to, um, to the lack of money and Mm -hmm. to like dependence on God, Mm -hmm. which I don't necessarily think is bad. I'm processing this out as I'm talking to you, but like, I don't, I think it taught me something, but looking back, I'm like, I kind of, I kind of would have rather seen God as like this overly abundant father who had endless gifts to give his children, as opposed to like, I'm going to give you exactly what you need at the right amount of time so that you remain dependent on me. And you're always like in a place of longing. Totally. So I think there's some, there's even as we unpack our stories with money, there's like spiritual, uh, God language that gets really agreements that gets really wrapped up in it. I get that. I grew up in like Bible Belt Christianity, so it was like name it, claim it. Yeah. Right? And so it was all the prosperity gospel. That's where I grew up in was a prosperity gospel. And so like, you know, say your confessions and your affirmations and like name it and declare it and, mm-hmm. you know, take it from heaven. It is yours. And so I spent hours, no shit, hours. <laughs> in your prayer closet? In my prayer closet. I declare this. I decree this. I declare this. I decree oh, this. And just calling down like mm-hmm. angels from heaven, bringing me buckets of pri- uh, financial prosperity, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what all my prayers were. Mm-hmm. But then when my prayer life did not meet my external reality, yeah, there was this, I don't want to say surrendering, but I can't question God. God knows best. God knows best, yeah. God knows best. So I need to be a faithful servant and just, this is my lot in life, Yeah. but God knows best because, I think that's what I'm, sorry, not because, but I think it's, that's what a lot of people, they try to believe that there is financial wealth or abundance, that we're living in this abundance of life, but we're also face to face with our reality every day. And the easy thing to do is to surrender it and say, well, God, mm-hmm. like, you know, best he God is almighty. I can I can, he knows what I can handle. Mm-hmm. He knows me better than I know myself. And then we just surrender it like that. Yeah. Instead of using the despair and the frustration and the helplessness and the hopelessness as little messengers yeah. 
as guides, yeah. as the God in us, yeah, that is actually leading us down a financial journey to mm-hmm. help us reclaim our lives financially. Yeah, that's like, what we don't do. Yeah, because I spent so much time same, just handing it over, being like, "Well, God knows totally, what I need." Totally, because that's God the easy thing I, to do. God knows what I need, as opposed to looking at. As opposed to looking at what are my blocks towards money? What are my totally. belief systems around money? What's keeping me from holding more money? Instead, I would, it, it, it's almost like a spiritual bypassing of sorts of like, oh, well, God knows better. So I'm just going to. It is. I'm going to. It's the easy way. Mm-hmm. And now, like to give you a, a great example is after COVID hit, we both have realized that we need to have more streams of revenue. Mm-hmm. Like that's just a non-negotiable. Like mm-hmm. we need to make a plan. And I think so many of the investments that we are investing in ourselves this year are hiring coaches, people that know things that we don't necessarily mm-hmm. know and that have done these things with their lives to help us do it with ours. And we're realizing the importance of that. And I'm just having a complete brain fart right now because I was like, where am I going with this? <laughs> oh, yes, I remember. Sorry. But and and part of that is like getting a our first home as like almost an Airbnb rental. Mm-hmm. Right. And I have this deep sense of helplessness Mm. that I feel. There is such a helplessness, like all of the information is out there and Mm. I can't grasp it for some reason. Like, why am I not understanding this? And it's a helplessness Mm. where now the helplessness is the messenger that I'm paying attention to. Mm. Like what's beneath this feeling of helplessness? Yeah. What's beneath this feeling of despair? What's beneath it? Yeah. Because I know that's the answer that's going to unlock financial abundance or new measures of abundance in our lives. Mm -hmm. So like there is this degree of like, you don't have to necessarily work harder to make more money. Yeah. You need to learn how to honor what money, not making more money is bringing up in your life right now. Mm-hmm. And that is the emotional, the energetic lock yeah. that is keeping you from stepping into more financial abundance. Absolutely. Today I was talking with Ali Fallon and we were talking about this idea of um, self-trust and in order to trust yourself, you have to live in radical honesty with yourself. If I'm in a relationship with you and you're not honest with me, I'm not going to trust you very much. If I'm in a relationship with myself and I'm not honest with myself, there is not a foundation to be operating in self-trust, right? So part of the journey of coming back to radical self-trust is really learning how to be radically self-honest. And I think that I've been thinking about this as we've been talking that it takes... um, it takes a lot to be radically self-honest around money because we, we've had, you and I have had our coping mechanisms and our escape mechanisms and our just operating mechanisms where we haven't had to be really honest about this area of our life. Totally. Right. And now we're, we're being faced with a greater, uh, greater wants and greater longings in life. And in order to step up to or into those, there's, it's like it's requiring a new level of honesty for each of us that I think is really, really fascinating. Yeah, that is a big thing. The emotional honesty and the self-trust. Mm-hmm. So if I'm not actually being, yeah, I'm just like processing that as you say that it's really massive and those are the energetic ties too. Like you're not going to make more money if you don't trust yourself with the money. 100%. Have, 100%. Right? And until you become more intentional with or more conscious mm. around your spending, 
mm-hmm. around your like anything that involves money, mm-hmm. then you can become more aware. And when you're more aware, you can have more agency. When you have more mm-hmm. agency, you can have more trust. Mm-hmm. Right. It's mm-hmm. like this. It all belongs together. And I think, too, this is why uh, this is why in cer- when we this is an oversimplified statement. But when we say things like the rich become richer. Yeah. It's not just about money. It's also about mindsets yeah, and mentalities totally. that are passed down when you grow up in wealth. You learn how to make wealth. You learn mindsets that carry you into wealth. We're not talking about billionaires here who are no. getting all the tax exempts in the world. And who are going on space I, rocket ships. Yeah. <laughs> We're not talking about that because I do think that there are systems that definitely empower the rich to stay 100%. rich. 100%. And we get that. But I also think that there are, when you grow up in a world where there are no want or there, where there's no lack mm-hmm. because of the financial, you see the world differently. You see the world And those are the belief systems that are actually mm-hmm. you're going to have your own set of challenges mm-hmm. to work through and other belief systems, but those belief sh- systems are in favor of you actually creating more wealth in your life. Mm-hmm. And then the stories of people, uh, coming out of extreme poverty and, and stepping into wealth. I think they change their mindset. Absolutely. I think they they change their entire change their thinking energetic involvement slash, you know, makeup when it comes to finances mm-hmm. 100% yeah and even having this conversation I'm like this is a privileged conversation to be having yeah to have the ability to think consciously about money it yeah. is a it is such a privilege but I also think it's really important it is it's wildly important to be having yeah because the hard part is and I think this should be said I'm glad we're going care you can't heal trauma when you're not emotionally safe mm-hmm. right Mm-hmm. So finding an ecosystem of safety so that your central nervous system can calm down, you can move out of fight or flight, you can start to feel emotionally safe so that yeah. you can start to unpack things, right? Yeah. Like it's it's almost like equivalent of being dropped into a combat zone. You're jumping out of a helicopter into war mm-hmm. and you're firing an enemy as a, you know, hitting you with gunfire and your magazine and your rifle is completely jammed. Yeah. Like, that's not the time to, like, be, like, calm yourself down. And, you know, it's fight or flight. It's yeah. it's life or death. Which I think a lot of people live in survival. That's what money. I was getting to. Yeah. It's, like, it's hard to change your beliefs. I said that in a really long-ass way. I apologize. <laughs> it's hard to change your mindset and your belief system around money when you're just surrounded in poverty. Yeah. And that's why systems have to crumble mm-hmm. that are keeping people broke that are keeping people in poverty those systems have to be uprooted and they have to fall Mm -hmm. because we're not it's not a even even playing field i would be completely fucking naive to think that me Mm -hmm. and then the inner city black kid Mm -hmm. in chicago have the same chance yeah at making and creating wealth. Yeah. And so we can't just say, well, change your belief systems. Yeah. Like that's, that's bullshit. There's the other stories or other, um, you know, other factors at play mm-hmm. here. Yeah. I mean, I think the change your belief systems is a, a fragment. It's a piece, but totally. what you said is it requires so much before we can even get to that place of changing Absolutely. belief systems that it's, it's really hard to just be like, let's just change your belief system and then manifest all the money in the world. There's actually so much more that goes into it. Even, even thinking back to your story of blowing the $10,000 check, you like, you couldn't have done anything differently. I gave it to God, honey. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't have done anything different in that time because you didn't know anything different in your, in your experience of safety. That was just, that was your reality at the time. Man. 
What would we do with those five thousand dollars right now? Probably buy some bourbon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But let's go to now that we've talked about belief systems Mm -hmm. and some things. um, A couple practices that we have implemented into our life. to we're on a journey of creating more wealth like i said earlier Mm -hmm. on the podcast we don't believe that the number that's associated with our income is directly correlated or it really does not mirror back to what we believe we're worth yeah i think there's this experience of our inner doesn't match our outer and so if that's the reality for us in any area of life money or non-money if if the inner doesn't match the outer then something is going on that needs to shift and and so i think for us it's Mm -hmm. not necessarily though our worth or our belief systems Mm -hmm. as much as it is clarity around the work we long to do i Mm -hmm. think as soon as we get clear and this is the work it takes fucking work to get clear Mm -hmm. right as soon as we get clear and so much of the things that we've invested in is getting that clear yeah. Or as soon as we get more clear, yeah, that creates a clear channel for money to flow freely. Yeah, we've talked about this a little bit before, but this idea of split energy, I think yeah, that you and I operate massive. in a lot of split energy. Um, so if you're unfamiliar, split energy is this concept uh, by Abraham Hicks. And it's the idea that when we want something in life, um, when we have desire for something, that that's a mirror to what's what's available for us, right? Like if we have a deep longing for something, really it's a mirror of what is possible for us. But so many of us have uh, that deep desire and then we have a but attached to it. So I want a really big white house, but I don't know if I know how to make enough money. I want a lifelong partnership, but I don't know if anyone will ever love me. And so when we do that, when we have this want and then add a but to it, essentially we're splitting our energetic yeah. field. We're splitting um, the energy of that flow because it's it's like looking in two different directions, right? Like I'm trying to go one direction and then all of a sudden my mind is shooting me off into a different direction with the but. And so I think what you're talking about is, is this idea of really uh, looking at ways that we're splitting energy and getting really clear on the things that we do want to call into the picture. And we've both, you know, we've both been single, (laughs) adventurous, spontaneous, heart-led people for so long, which Mm -hmm. I think has uh, been a beautiful part of our journeys. But now I think we're getting into a new season of life where we're asking, what does it look like? What does it look like to get really clear on what it is that we desire and orient our our mind, our belief systems, our behavior, our, our energy, our energy towards that thing. Um, you've yeah. been reading what's it called? The one thing. Yeah, yeah. A, a lot of things that I'm reading and picking up, and it's interesting because I was writing this morning, and it was like, ask God to help you see what you can't see, and then start paying attention. Mm. Where it's like, pay attention to the books that are you're mm-hmm. reading, pay attention mm-hmm. to the conversations that you're hearing on your part, pay it because there's always these little things that we're attracting that are little clues or invitations for us to go down this journey for the very thing that we're asking God to help us see that we can't see. Yeah. And so there's a lot of things that are coming up right now. That's like making me realize this is the blockage in our financial income that we want to see that, or the financial increase that we want to see. These are the blocks. It's not yeah. about value. It's not about worthiness. It's not about belief systems necessarily. Yeah. It's about clarity. Mm-hmm. A lot of our stuff is creating space to bring in, to invite in the wealth, mm-hmm. and also just being really clear on the work and the transformational value that we that we give people, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. when we offer value, we're rewarded with value. Yeah. And yeah. that's the law of abundance. Yeah. 
And so the more clear that we are on the value that we offer, mm. then it's going to be returned to us mm-hmm. in finances and finances. It's going to return to us in relationships. It's going to return to us in anything that's abundant. Cause this is the law of abundance. This is the world in which we actually live. And we've just been taught to believe otherwise. Yeah. And we've been taught to prescribe value in a certain way, mm-hmm. but we look at the way, you know, certain people charge for certain things. And if there's a value to it, people will pay. There's a reason that a Gucci bag sells differently than totally. a no, Target bag yep. because there's a different value ascribed to it. I love me some Target. <laughs> me too, actually. I love Target. <laughs> what's another uh, What's another practice or... Uh, well, I think we have belief systems. I think... If clarity. You, if you, clarity is massive. I love the letter to mm-hmm. money. This is so important. Just like write a letter to money like money is your friend. Mm. right like Mm -hmm. and say like what were you taught about money growing up how did your family treat money or if it's not your friend how you want it to be your friend that was a huge part of my that's a that's another thing is the way you talk about money Uh will really indicate and reveal what you believe about it yeah right do you actually believe that like money is like calling the money the root of all evil is the dumbest thing you could ever do (laughs) Like if you, if money was a friend, would it mm. actually want to come back and talk to you mm-hmm. based on how you treat it? How you treat it. Yeah. And how you speak of it. Mm-hmm. Right. I never have enough of you. God mm-hmm. damn it. I'm in a bad mood again because I don't have enough of you. Mm-hmm. You make me frustrated. You All make me feel things. insecure. Yeah. There was a lot that came up in the letter. I think it's a brilliant practice for anyone, regardless of your financial status. I think it's just a good practice to, to be aware of how you're relating to, yeah. to energetic flow. And really just try, and something that we're doing intentionally, just to kind of recap, it's seeing money beyond just fine, like seeing abundance as something just more than money, Mm. right? When we offer value to somebody, Mm -hmm. right? We are operating in the law of abundance and we can expect now that that abundance is going to be returned to us. Right. But Mm -hmm. I think we're getting more clear on it being returned to us financially now. Yeah. One practice that I, um, that I read in the energy cure, that book that I I shared with you, it's so beautiful. It's called the energy cure and it's about a doctor who heals, uh, cancer through energy. And it's fascinating. But one of the things he has, um, he has in his practice is he has people write out something called 20 wants. And you write out 20 things that you want. So I want a big white house. I want to, I want to get married. I want three kids. It was actually really hard to do. It was so hard to do. Yeah. You get like five down and then you're like, wait, (laughs) because it's vulnerable to want. That's the other piece is that it's actually really vulnerable to want things. Well, it also makes you realize how little you spend intentionally creating the life you want versus surviving to what you have Mm -hmm. or surviving Mm -hmm. with what you have. That's what it made. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. I don't even know what I want. How the fuck am I going to expect my life to change when I don't even know what I want because yeah. I spent all of my day trying to react and survive to what is going on and what I have. Yeah, absolutely. So he has you list out these 20 wants. I got through like 10 and then I had to really press in and be like, wow, it's, it is like scary for me to want more. Um, again, that's because I have this belief system that there's not enough or I don't get what I want. So it, it's quite revealing. But then what he has you do is he has you... Um, ascribe a uh, a direct uh, experience that relates to that want. So, for example, 
if I want a big white house, I imagine myself in the kitchen at that big white house um, making a beautiful cheese board on the marble countertop, right? So I, I, I take it even further. I take it into a visualization of what happens, what's the experience I'm having when I get that white house. And he has you go through and do that with all 20. And it was a really, it is a really, I have it up on my wall in my office. It's a really powerful practice for me because it not only forces you to think about what you want, but it forces you into a visualization of the reality of that want coming to fruition. And I think that, I mean, when we talk about manifestation, we talk about this idea of visualization of really allowing yourself to energetically experience the feeling of that uh, longing come into fruition. And there's something massive about that. I remember when I was longing for you, Caleb, when I was longing for my partner, I would imagine falling asleep next to my person at night. I would imagine sitting across from the dinner table and having a conversation with him. I would imagine uh, waking up and brewing a pot of coffee for two people as you opposed to one. probably were not imagining him stealing your covers and your pillows. I was not imagining him <laughs> stealing my pillows, which is something you do often. But I was, again, it, 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 with without even knowing what I was doing, I was visualizing yeah, the totally. experience of what I wanted before it came. And I I think I'm still practicing this so much in my life. So I, um, I like I'm still exploring it, but I, I am 100% convinced that it works, that by visualizing, we can't walk ourselves into a future that we can't visualize. We can't walk ourselves into something we can't see. Absolutely, 100%. So so by practicing these, naming the wants and then getting really clear on the vision of what that want looks like when it's it's manifested is such a powerful tool. Yeah, and then uh, just to clarify, because I know you're saying this, it's, that visualization creates an emotional response. Mm-hmm. Energy talks to energy, mm-hmm. right? And so that emotional response is the energy that you're vibrating at. So mm-hmm. then you are actually attracting that. You're calling in that energy. So yeah. it's, let's get really clear, visualize it, and then like feel it deeply. Feel it. Yeah. Which is a great practice to start doing your, your, with money. It's like start to notice the your emotions in your body, mm-hmm. how it feels when that check doesn't clear that you thought was supposed to come through or, you know, when you do get a raise or whenever, whenever something challenging happens around finance or when mm-hmm. you don't get a raise, whenever something challenging happens around finance, pay attention to how your body responds mm-hmm. and the thought processes that arise as a result. Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side of that, pay attention to what it actually feels like when that $10,000 totally. check comes in or when you, when you, yeah, hit that money marker that you want to in a certain month, like what it cultivate, what that feels like before it happens. Yeah. Because there is something energetic that that shifts when you do that. And this is a journey. Like this is a lifelong, Absolutely. this is a way of life. Absolutely. It's not necessarily for an end point of a desired goal. Mm-hmm. It's a way of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a journey. Yeah. 100%. Well, we'll reach back out and talk more about money when we have our first seven figure year. <laughs> I love talking about money. So I think I. It's, it's such a, it's such a real thing for all of us. And I think it's such a helpful conversation to have. Yeah. Well, there you have it folks. I hope and trust wherever you are uh, and whatever you are doing, I hope your heart is well. I hope life is well. And if you happen to find yourself um, in a hard place right now, uh, I do hope and trust. We hope and trust that you're just taking some time to show yourself some compassion, to show yourself some grace um, and just keep leaning in, keep leaning in. 
And uh, we'll be back again next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you.